we don't really know our neighbours, unfortunately. And one of our neighbours is our landlord. So um, that complicates matters a bit more. Um, they all seem very pleasant. And yeah, there's an old lady next door I'm quite fond of. Um, yeah, no, no, not much more to comment, really. We live together um, yeah. in Bristol. Um, yeah, we, like I said, we don't particularly know our neighbours, but they all seem rather nice. Um, through COVID, my neighbours were really like, they were um, really nervous the whole way through, so we didn't really see them. But like we did some shopping for them and stuff. They're not, I don't know why they were so anxious, but I think because they're, my neighbour's sister worked in the NHS and obviously she was seeing all of it. So I think they found that really upsetting. Whereas I didn't see any like negative effects of COVID. Like none of my family reacted badly or anything. So I just kind of lived day by day. Like, but they were a lot more concerned about it than me and my family were. Um, our previous neighbor <laughs> didn't like us because of something, a dispute over the bins. Um, not, probably haven't got any good stories regarding connecting with the neighbor, if I'm honest. Um, I think since we've been living together, we just keep to ourselves and our neighbors seem to do the same really, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. In an ideal world, you were living with your dream neighbors. What would that relationship look like? Um, I think it would be a lot more connected because I think they're kind of, I don't know. I think, yeah, we just would have seen them more or like tried to help them out a bit more and get them more comfortable. Even now, like they're a bit uncomfortable leaving the house. so have more connection with them. Kind of what we have now, yeah, I, I guess. Like, really... We all recognise each other, all say hello, all friendly. Yeah. But not actually involved, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. A respectful, just sort of like, keep your distance yes. relationship. Yeah. Be the ideal. <laughs> and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. 
Good morning, church. Good to see you, those of us in the room here in the middle of Brighton and those online as well. Thanks so much uh, for joining us as we continue through our series where we're looking at your people. And uh, this has been a series where we've been looking at all kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. But maybe you've got to this point in the series, you think, well, you've not covered anyone in my life. Maybe you haven't got a boss. Maybe you don't have parents any longer. Maybe you don't have a crush or a partner. Well, today is relevant for everyone because everyone has a neighbour. And I think, well, maybe you haven't got neighbours, maybe you haven't got a next door neighbour. Uh, but you know what? When the Bible uses the term your neighbour, it means all people everywhere. It puts as a wonderful catch-all category. And so this is the one for all of us to engage with. We all have people in our lives. And so not just the people that we love to do life with, so whether that's a spouse or friends or kids or other relatives or colleagues or friends, uh, but this is catch-all. This means strangers and even enemies. And so we're going to touch on some of that today. Now, we didn't, in our kind of series notes, say, let's do a, do a kind of a, a sermon on your enemy. Wasn't that as kind of a catchy? Uh, but your people covers everyone, including your enemies, people you find difficult as well. And uh, this is the second to last one. Next week, we've got our last one in the series, and we're going to be looking at your kids. A little side note for you. Uh, we're going to come back next week and look at the fact that for our parents, how do you kind of raise kids? Uh, but all of us, we all, all should be concerned about how do we raise the children in our church, in our community. And we're also going to give thanks to God for some babies that were born in lockdown of which there are many. And uh, we're just going to do five next week. We've basically got Baby Thanks going, givings every week next year uh, to, to cover the amount of babies you've all had. So well done you. Uh, so we'll be looking at that. Um, I didn't have any babies in lockdown. Uh, we just had a dog. And uh, like, you know, so things like, what do you do in lockdown? Bought a fire pit, bought a dog. Could we be more cliche? Anyway, but next week we're looking at your kids. But today, your neighbour, something uh, for all of us. And to do that, we're looking at this very famous story, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable, which just means a story with a meaning. Maybe you don't realise, but this story is actually a response to uh, some people kind of coming to question Jesus. And uh, Jesus, when he's questioned, often replies either with a question or with a story. And we see both of those things happening in today's passage. And in this instance, Jesus is being questioned by a lawyer. And uh, this uh, lawyer has come to ask him some things. And this lawyer isn't just a kind of a, a lawyer, kind of expert in governmental law, but religious law as well. And he's asking questions about religion. Like, how do you inherit the kingdom of God? How do you find eternal life? How do you, what's, what's the main, what's the uh, kind of a, uh, uh, the, be, the, the biggest commandment? It says elsewhere in Mark. What's the best commandment? How do you summarize all the scriptures that we've been given? And uh, Jesus being asked that, he knows the game the lawyer's playing. He doesn't answer him. He says, well, you're the lawyer. You tell me. Sure enough, the lawyer answers. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirms the lawyer's answer. He says, well done. You've got it right. That is the right answer. It is love God with all your life and love your neighbor. Love people as yourself. Love God and love people. And these two things, they're joined together, intimately, intrinsically, uh, joined together. That if you're going to love God, 
Well, you're going to love people. If you love people, then that means you are loving God as well. It says this this kind of more explicitly elsewhere in the Bible. It says in 1 John 4.20. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We got people in front of us. And if you don't love them, God says, well, that, you can't really say you love me if you're not loving the people that are there. But the Lord goes further. He's asked one question, but he's going to come back to Jesus again. And the Bible says he's seeking to justify himself. He's obviously kind of, a, kind of the Bible almost kind of uh, paints him as a kind of slightly puffed up, kind of arrogant, kind of proving himself, maybe to the crowds, maybe to Jesus. He wants to justify himself. And we shouldn't kind of wag our finger at him too much because we're all a bit like that, aren't we? We like having our lives and our views, our thoughts justified and agreed with by other people. We say things like, oh, other people on the side, do they think the same thing? We can be like that. Well, the Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. And here this lawyer is being proud. He wants to be puffed up. He wants to be seen right in Jesus' eyes and those who are listening in as well. Well, the Bible says God opposes those people. God loves the humble, those who come broken and weak, knowing that they need God. But those who come with some sense of self-importance or self-holiness, well, Jesus reserves his most pointed words and stories for people like that. There's other examples of that. I'm going to go into the one with the lawyer in a moment. But going to other examples, there's a time where the disciple Peter comes to Jesus. And Peter knows that in the common culture there, that to forgive someone three times is acceptable and holy. But Jesus is like, well, Peter comes to Jesus and says, well, Jesus, you know, I'm one of your disciples. We should forgive all seven times, shouldn't we? Double plus one. Come on now. Well, we really are holy, aren't we, Jesus? Me and you, we're better than everyone else. Jesus says, no, it's not seven times. It's seven times 70. It's like, Peter's like, what? That's 490, in case you're doing the equation. Uh, he's like, wow, that's a lot of times. It's not three, it's not seven, it's 490. And another time, a rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've basically kept all the commands since my youth. Surely I can inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, well, yes, but you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It says that Jesus said that out of love. He wanted to show that ruler it's not just about keeping these things but living a whole life of wholehearted devotion to God. That's what the level is. The level isn't forgiving three times, it's 490. It's not just keeping some commandments, it's wholeheartedly following Jesus with all our lives. And for here, with the story of the, of the lawyer, it's like, what does it mean to love your neighbour? It's just the people, the other Jewish people. No, it's to love even your enemy, the Samaritans we'll come to in just a moment. God's level of holiness and requirements far outweigh anything that we can meet. We need to come to God Humbly. Whereas not one of us on our own merit can say we are justified, that we are sorted, we've got it all together. Every one of us falls short and actually needs God's help. God's help to internal life, receive forgiveness, to be counted as righteous and good. It's not something we can do on our own accord. We each need Jesus. Each one of us needs to come to him. And in today's story, we're going to find out loving your neighbour isn't just being nice about the bins with the person next door uh, or just having a bit of contact and polite chat. No, it's far more than that. It's not loving people who are easy. It's loving everyone with a depth of compassion, whether they're good, bad or ugly. It's something we need God's help with. It's a supernatural, divine thing in reality. And so I'm going to pray that God might help us as we look at this passage and as we outwork it in our lives. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the Bible. Thank you what it contains. Thank you, Jesus, for your interactions with other people, which shows us your interactions you have with us. There's things you've said to these people that you want to say to us today as well. I pray, help us to be soft-hearted. Help us to be ready to hear what you want to say. And help us to be ready to be those who act upon it as well. Not just hearing good things, but doing good things as we follow you, Jesus, into the things you have for us. Pray for the person who knows least of you. I pray as we look at this, they might see you, Jesus, and the kind of God that you are. And they might turn and follow you as well, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is telling this parable, and he does it by kind of, we quite a cast of characters. I thought we'd maybe just quickly look at them. Now, the first one, of course, is the guy who is laying half dead on the side of the road. Just on a journey, he's been beaten up, he's been bruised, he's been attacked, and he's in a bad state, suffering by the side of the road. And interestingly enough, we, Jesus is trying to contrast two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans. But he's chosen the victim to be one of the Jewish people. The kind, of the kind of people he's speaking to, just to remind them, hey, what? Hey, you know that you are uh, likely to fall foul of things in this life. You are likely to suffer as well. Really important to see that in there. Remind that all of us are needy at points. Next, we have the two men who come across the man. We have a priest who's kind of meant to be one of the religious people. And then a Levite, that's the tribe that are meant to help the religious duties in their nation. Two people in one sense who are meant to understand the commandments the lawyer and Jesus have been talking about. Love God, love people. Surely these religious men, they're the ones who are going to carry this out perfectly. They're the ones we should be able to lift up as the prime examples. But both of them have the same response. They pass by on the other side of the road. Instead of looking upon the man with compassion, they literally cross the road to avoid him and avoid getting involved. Let me have the Samaritan. Samaritans, just so you get the context, are people who are despised by Jewish people. Jesus is speaking to this Jewish people, speaking to this Jewish lawyer, and he throws in Samaritans. It's a provocation. We think, oh, the good Samaritan, this is a lovely story. Now, this story is challenging. It was actually abhorrent probably to listeners at the time. So why would you choose the Samaritan as the hero? Why would you do that? For us, maybe we could say, the good Nazi. So I feel something like that because it's like, well, you're going to tell a story about a Nazi who's being good? Well, that's what it was for them. The Samaritans, they're kind of Jewish, but they're not. They worship in a wrong way, and we want to do everything to be away from them. Jesus is saying, no, no, this is the hero of the story, because the way they act and they do good is something for us to look at. And the Samaritan, what does, they do? what does he do? He looks upon the man with compassion. He's drawn to that man. He binds up his wounds tends to him, gets down on his knees, gets grubby, puts the broken man upon his donkey, takes him to the innkeeper, pays money to make sure that he is well cared for and continues to care for him. That's the way the Samaritan acts. And then Jesus finishes the story just by looking at that innkeeper. Innkeeper is paid to look after him. I mention that because we're going to come back to that fifth person a bit later. Jesus finishes the story by saying to the lawyer and to those listening, which of these three... The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which one acted like a neighbour? And through gritted teeth, the lawyer has to say, the one who showed mercy. Now, the lawyer doesn't even say the Samaritan. doesn't even bring himself to say those words. He's like, but, he, but instead he says, you know, the one who, 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 who uh, showed mercy. That was the one who loved the neighbour. That's the one who fulfilled the command. That's the one who actually showed love for God in that moment. And uh, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at how we're to respond. 
What does it look like for us, as it were, to be in the story? How are we to respond to those who need compassion and mercy? Before we look at that, though, I want to start by looking at what Jesus has done. If this parable is a picture of what we're meant to do, first of all, it's a picture of what Jesus has already done. The glory of the gospel, the picture of the gospel, the good news that Christians hold so dear. We, all of us, like the man in the parable, are broken, are bruised. I don't know how much you're feeling like that this morning, but we are at times beaten up by life. The mistakes of others, maybe the intentions of others, our own failings, our own sin, or just the circumstances of a fallen and troubled world. I was speaking to James Foreman, who's one of our elders here this week, and he's describing this season as everyone feeling like they're not quite match fit. It's like almost like between seasons, suddenly your fitness training's fallen off and you're just starting a new season. You're just not quite up to, up to scratch yet. Or maybe you've been out because of an injury, just not quite ready to face life yet. feels a bit like that for many of us. Whether we've had COVID or not, it feels like there's just kind of a lethargy or a lack of energy. or just not quite got what we used to have when it was pre-COVID. But even before all this, each of us carry hurts and failings that need dealing with. And God in his kindness and compassion, in his great love, made a plan, carried out a plan to save us. If we are like the man lying by the side of the road, Jesus is like the good Samaritan. Not just the good Samaritan, but the best Samaritan. One who comes to us. One who loves to tend to our wounds, tends to our failings, tend to our diseases and issues, tending to our sin itself, offering us forgiveness, offering us care and kindness. And a bit like the Samaritan and the Jewish, there's enmity between those two nations, between those two groups of people. Well, that's the same with us and God. The Bible says that each of us are enemies of God. Did you know that? If you're, before you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, the Bible describes you as an enemy of God because we are made to be in loving relationship with him. But instead of that, we've loved ourselves or loved the creation that he's given us. Instead of loving him, instead of worshipping him, instead of living for him, we've become an offence to him. And Jesus in that place decided to love us. Where he should have kicked us to the curb, where he should have crossed over the other side of the road. No, Jesus comes close instead. And he was costly for him. This Samaritan, it was costly. And he had to get down into the, the dirt. had to give his time and gave his money to help this person. Well, God has done similar. Done way more in fact. I think of people in my life who have really, really wronged me at times. They have kind of birthed in me all kinds of anger a hatred at times. You know, I've had all kinds of wrong thoughts and feelings on the back of it, things I've had to repent for and uh, work through as I've been properly offended by some people. But Jesus, he didn't respond like that with the offence that we've shown him. He instead responds with grace, responds with love, responds with great compassion, decides to come from heaven to rescue a broken world, decides to go to the cross, to be falsely accused, Tried by sinful men, tortured and mocked, and then have his hands and his feet nailed to an uneven stake in the ground. Flies buzzing around his tortured flesh. Hearing the sneers of the crowds, watching the pained expressions of his friends and family as they watch him die. Filling the abandonment of the father as he dies there upon the cross. This is what Jesus goes through for you and me. When we look at this picture of the Good Samaritan, this is the kind of cost of a God who is full of love. 
And I take us there, I make this point first because I want to get to, into this message, into what we should do. I want to encourage us, I want to exhort us to be those who are gracious and compassionate and generous this morning. But I want that to be motivated from a place of knowing you have a gracious and compassionate God who loves you, loves you with scandalous, amazing grace. I've been meditating upon these verses from 2 Corinthians uh, for a few weeks now. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. He comforts us in our affliction. Why? Because he loves you, but also because of this. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We're to be those who receive God's blessing, receive his grace, receive his comfort, his fortification, his love for ourselves, but also that we might be a conduit. We might be a blessing to others. It might be a flow to us and through us to other people. We're to receive before we give to others. I want us to give, give, give big this morning, but because we know we've received so much from God. I heard a wonderful story this week that illustrates this well. Uh, our food bank actually here in the Clarendon Centre. I was speaking to the food bank team earlier this week. I was speaking about a guy who uh, for several weeks earlier this term had to come and uh, receive food. Was, in, was right on the brink of needing you know, care and food because he just had access to money. I think we think something to do with benefits. I don't know the full story. Um, but basically his benefits are stopped. He needed food. And uh, we're able to give that to him as well as just friendship and dignity and a place, a friendly smile, that kind of thing. And just this last week, he came back to the food bank with bags of food and to give back to the food bank. And uh, he didn't bring it because we'd said, please make sure you pay back what you've taken. And he came back with full of joy and just gratitude. He says, thank you so much for the way you gave me food. But actually, you showed me care and warmth and friendship. And I just have gratitude and just overflowing hearts. He wanted not to pay it back, but to pass it on. He wants to give food back into the food bank so we might go and bless other people. God is giving us everything that we might then go and give everything away to other people. Blessing for us that we might be a blessing to others. When you come to our food banks, or our work with the poor, or our work around fostering and adoption or well-being, all those things, we haven't got a bunch of people who are thinking, I'm doing this work so I get into God's good books. They're there because they've already received God's goodness and grace and they just want to pass it on and love others. So I'm going to spend these last few minutes we have together just on this, on, on this passage, drawing out a few quick points for us, four quick points for us. The first one is that everyone is your neighbour. Everyone is your people. And I maybe have an idea of who my people is as we've been kind of talking about this, this term. I just want to blow it open and say everyone is your people. And maybe that doesn't sound particularly radical or provocative, maybe. You know, that we've got this global citizen movement, had a big concert recently. You remember, a citizen of all the world. And uh, plenty of people who aren't Christians show love for others. You know, it sounds like we don't, have, we don't have the exclusivity on that. In one sense, that is true. And uh, one of the kind of uh, upshots of everything we've been through the last 18 months has been wonderful watching communities and neighbours do each other good, living each other's lives, seeing how they can care for each other. And there is a difference. One, it's good to know that all love actually comes from God. Whether people acknowledge Jesus or not, even if they reject him, the love that people have is a love that God's put in us. We're made in his image. And uh, our, our love for others is broken, but there's still, still love in there. Everything good comes from God. When people show love and care, we can still worship God for it. But any love without God is, however, limited. We express love to those who we like and love or who we think deserve it. 
either because we have affection for them or maybe pity for them. But God's love extends to those who, don't naturally, who we don't naturally think deserve it. I've been reading C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, while we've been going through this series. And I love this quote. It just really provokes me. It says this, Natural love is always directed to objects which the person finds in some way intrinsically lovable. Objects to which affection or eros or a shared point of view attracts him. Or failing that, to the grateful and deserving. Or perhaps to those whose helplessness is of a winning and appealing kind. That's natural love. But divine love in the man enables him to love what is not naturally lovable. Lepers, criminals, enemies, morons, the sulky, the superior, and the sneering. Lewis is making the point that without God, we love on our terms. When it feels good, or when it's convenient, or when it matches up to our particular level or values. Christian love, divine love, is so much more. It is to the enemy. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He loved his enemy. That's what Jesus did. He loved his enemy. Now, I want to be really clear. We're not giving this morning to our enemies. Okay? We're giving to the poor. We're trying to make the polemic points. Now, we're to love our enemy. The person who is so radically different to us, so maybe even abhorrent to us, political views, all kinds of things. You think, oh, how could I ever love them? God says, well, you know, you bless them and love them. We're looking at the harder things so that we can do the easier thing. Actually, we can have real pity for the poor, show them charity. Not because they're less than us, because they're like us. We're to be pitied. We need charity. We need love. We need grace in our lives. And we know God's shown to us, we can show compassion to them as well. We're looking at this harder thing to help us to understand and to be motivated for the easier thing. This teaching helps us realize that everyone falls into the category of your people. And this morning, there is an application for us to work out in terms of just giving in a moment. We don't want to do that, but we've got a life of compassion. We want to put our money where our mouth is, but also live in the lane of compassion. Loving people, not just in this moment. This isn't just like, I'll give, give my gift. That's my compassion done for the year. I can't wait to gift day next year. It's like, no, we want to live in this place of loving people for us. But maybe as I'm talking about an enemy this morning, maybe you're thinking, you know what, I have got people I'm hating in my heart right now. Maybe there are people that you're really struggling with. Well, you know what? It, you can't just change your heart. You need God to do something. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. And I've known that for myself. People I've really struggled to change my heart on. As I've begun to pray, the Holy Spirit softened my heart, helped me to love them, helped me to bless them. The situation might not change, but your heart really can. Why don't you start asking God to change your heart towards them? So first one is everyone is your people. Second one is real Christianity. Showing compassion in tangible ways is a mark of true and real Christianity. A Samaritan worshipped differently, wrongly in reality, incorrectly as far as the Jews were concerned. But Jesus holds him up as the one who's actually good in God's eyes. When this parable is told in the book of Mark, it says, Love one's neighbour as oneself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Saying so loving your neighbour is more important than the stuff that goes on in the temple. And maybe as Christians sometimes, we think we've got a Christian life down. We're not doing this, not doing that, we're not doing this. I've basically got it together. These are, I'm not committing these sins anymore. But God says, yes, but are you omitting? Are you failing to do the thing you're meant to do? It says elsewhere in the Bible, what is good? And what does the law require of you? But do justice and love and kindness 
There's an active choice to follow Jesus and move into a place of compassion and mercy and doing what God requires. It's not just not doing wrong. It's actively choosing to do what is right. That's real Christianity. God reserves severe judgment for those who omit love for their neighbour and particularly for those in need. Compassion fatigue is not something that God suffers from and not something as his people we should suffer from. Very naturally, we can think, oh, yes, another plea for help or something else to deal with. I'm already tired and COVID and everything else. Actually, but when we spend time with God, we get in, in step with him. We let his heartbeat become our heartbeat. We talk in this church often about the acronym BLESS. And the B of BLESS is begin with prayer. And we begin with prayer. Say, God, give me a heart of compassion for others. God, help me to know who to go to, how to go again when, I am too, when I'm so naturally selfish. I'm naturally selfish. God, I need you to do something in my heart that I remain compassionate and selfless. We are to be a blessing to embody Jesus upon the earth. How can we say we love him if we don't love others? Loving our neighbour is a way in which we worship and love God. I love singing songs of worship. I love to sing loudly. I love to worship. I love to raise my hands to Jesus. But if I do that on a Sunday, but don't love people during the week, I'm missing out on the opportunity to love God. Levi and priests did not do this. They should have been the most religious. They should have understood loving God, loving people. Here's an opportunity to express my worship to God, but they missed it. I love it when people love my family and love my wife because I feel loved in return. My daughter Miriam was nine this last month and as she drew up a very long list of things that she would like for her birthday, including meeting the Ninja Kids, who are some YouTube channel stars who are based in America. It's like, that one's not going to happen. And she also put it on Joel Virgo's Blackberry Crumble. And I was thinking, well, it's not really blackberry picking season, I don't think. And also, Joel's quite busy. But we took a picture of the list and sent it to Joel. I said, isn't this sweet? She, she knows you make a good blackberry crumble. So, uh, you know, isn't that nice? I mean, Joel's a good, good cook, if you don't know. Joel's our senior pastor here. And uh, but sure enough, on our birthday, Joel Virgo dropped off a blackberry crumble. He'd gone and picked the blackberries when found the kind of the remnants of them in the bushes around Sussex and had cooked her a crumble. And Mim was like, oh, yeah, my love crumble. I'm like, oh, man, he loves me. It's like, I was like, man, you love my kid. I feel love. Do you ask how God feels when you love others? When you love people in front of you that are needing, God is loved. Do you want to worship God? Do you want to live for him? Love other people. God says, you give someone a glass of water, it's like giving a glass of water to him. When you put your money in the buckets this morning, it's like giving it to him. When you put food in our trolleys for the food bank, it's like giving it to him. You want to give to God, you've got real ways of being able to do that this morning. Number three, compassion is costly. Here's another C.S. Lewis quote for you. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. We know this in our relationships. You know, there's that sense of letting down our guard. If you want to love the needy, you know what? It's going to leave you vulnerable. Some of us this morning, we're going to leave ourselves financially vulnerable. We've already given our gift already. We did it, we did it online. And uh, you know what? There's lots of things I would like to do with that money. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to put myself in a vulnerable place. I'm going to put myself in a costly place. Why? Because you paid the greatest cost for me. In one sense, I, I got loads of sympathy for the Levite and the priest. He passed by on the other side. You know, maybe they're fearful of getting beaten up themselves. They got, you know, it's going to take time to stop and deal with people. And we're all busy people, aren't we? There's some inconvenience. It gets messy when you start getting in people's broken lives. 
and it's costly. Their own pocket was going to be affected. Following Jesus is the best thing you can ever do, but let me tell you, it's no picnic. It's about taking up your cross and following him. It's costly, but I encourage you, church, it's a good cost to pay. And God is no man's debtor. God takes care of those who love him and put him first. Is your love for God costing you anything right now? If it's not, is it really love? Fourth thing, do what you can do. There's lots of stuff that we can't do to help people. There's lots we can't do, but there are things that we can. And I think sometimes I'm, I kind of uh, shrink back from helping people because I'm thinking, I don't really know how to help them. But there are always something you can do. And I say, maybe it's just to prayer. When I say just, actually, this is a great place to start. When you kind of call that heaven into a situation, God can turn things around much better than you can anyway. So we want to be those that pray. We are people who can stop and have a conversation with people. We're talking as a team this week, you know, what is the wisdom about helping homeless people in the street? That's often the one that comes up. We're talking about these kinds of things, helping the homeless. What do you do? It's like, it's not always easy. Do I have to give money to every homeless person? Do I need to try and source a coffee for them or this and the other? Can I stop and have a conversation with every homeless person in the middle of Brighton? That feels quite difficult, quite tough. It's like, yeah, it is. It is costly, but do what you can do. What have you got time for? What can you make time for? Jesus would often stop and talk to people even at the cost of another person's life. You read that in the, the Gospels. Think, Jesus, you stopped and that person then died. It's like, it's literally life or death situations. Sometimes we think the situations in our life are life or death situations. Jesus actually was in those and still chose to stop and love the person in front of them. Just have a conversation, show them dignity. And I've got this right and I've got this so wrong. Sometimes I've stopped and had a chat with someone. And it's been really awkward. They've not really wanted to talk to me. Not everyone wants to chat with every Christian that walks past them. So that you're going to bless them. It's like, leave me alone. Just give me a fiver and a coffee. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. And it feels awkward. It feels inconvenient. But you know, there are things we can do. The other thing is find out what you can do. So here's a, here's a little card that our team gave out. Homeless, we can help. And it's just a link to uh, streetsupport.net. And it shows you the support in our city that people can access. There's some real-time things you can do for people. You can point them towards a service in the city, services they might already know about, but you can just express some practical care and love for them. What can we do? Well, sometimes we can just do a little bit there, but the great thing as a community, we can do so much more. We've been able to start two food banks this last year, some of the ones we're already involved in. It's been wonderful. Get involved with other things, support other things, because we're together, we can do more. And uh, you know what we can give this morning? You might not be able to mop up every homeless person in the street. You might not be able to make sure every person is fostered and adopted. You can have a good go, maybe. Uh, you, you can't do all that. You can't help everyone's well-being. But together, as we give money, we have lots of innkeepers that we can pay to help. Church staff or other services in the city. There's a wonderful parallel in this uh, parable. Actually, there's, there's a sense where the Samaritan did his bit, put him on a donkey, then took him to the innkeeper. And the innkeeper then took over the next bit of care. And we can do that for our city. We can do our bit. We can pray. We can stop and help people. Not just homeless people, but other broken people in our lives up there. Other vulnerable people we can love and care for. But we can also do the bit. We can point people towards services. And we can do things as, as a city. And I'm, as a church, well, and I'm, I'm really excited this year to see what can we do next. What's the next thing that God's going to call us to do? What's the next opportunity that we can respond to as we get, a, get in a whole bunch of money? So there's things we've done this year we didn't know we were going to be able to do, but because there was more money in the gift they last year than we planned for, we've been able to do more this year. 
I want to be able to say to the team again, hey, go and dream. What can you do this next year to help the people in our city? That's an expression of our love as a community. Let me uh, finish uh, by praying for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of all love, care and compassion. Thank you you didn't stay in the safe confines of heaven, Lord God, but you came down to us into a messy world, Lord God, to know people, love people, to stop and care for them. And God, I pray, would you put some of that in us, Lord God, that we might have care and compassion for those around us, that we might walk through life with that kind of mindset, Lord, that we might know that you've loved us and we might be so flocked with love that we might be overflowing towards other people as well. And we pray that might even be the case this morning. Thank you for those who come prepared, ready to give this morning. I pray for those who are still considering what that looks like, Lord God. Would you come and prompt them? Would you kind of help them? They wouldn't do it from a place of guilt or trying to earn your love, but because they've already received it. In such a great measure, we pray, Lord God. Help us, Lord. We want to pray for this £120,000 that we're going for, Lord God. I pray, sustain the works we're involved in, Lord. But I pray, would you extend it as well? Would we get to involve with far more as you provide for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Simon, over to you.